When I talk about walking in the Spirit, do you land in one of two ditches? In one ditch, there is the individual who is afraid of this pneumatic spirit talk because they see so much error within Christendom and they just don't want to go there. And so they're not really, you would think, they're not really full Trinitarians because they, uh, they twitch a little bit when they talk about walking in the Spirit. And then in the other ditch, the people that the non-spirit people are concerned with. In that ditch is the highly subjective crowd that really doesn't adhere a lot or as well as they should to God's Word. Those are two ditches, and you need to stay out of both of them. It would be better to be a full Trinitarian, one who believes in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and that is who I am. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and well on planet Earth, and that's why I want to share this podcast with you. It is titled, Practical Steps on How to Walk in the Spirit. You need a robust, practical pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. God is Father, Son, and Spirit. The Spirit of God has a role, an active role to play in our lives today. And we don't want to land in the subjective ditch to where we have no high view of Scripture whatsoever, but we don't want to be so strict or overreact that we don't have a robust understanding of the Spirit of God, and thus we're missing out on a vibrant life because we're reacting to a lot of error that we see in our culture. I trust that this podcast will help you to walk Walk down the middle road and that you don't land in either ditches. If you want to read this podcast, you're welcome to do that. Go to our website, rickthomas.net. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me. And look for the article, Practical Steps on How to Walk in the Spirit. Let me get into it right now. And I want to begin by saying, quite honestly, my number one all-time prayer is for the Spirit of God to give me awareness, to give me perception regarding His work in my life and into the world that I live. The most important prayer that you will ever pray is, God, save me. God, regenerate me. God, make me a Christian, however you want to say that. But that is a one-and-done prayer, a one-and-done deal, and you are adopted, justified, brought into the family of God. After that, we want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and it's the Spirit of God that teaches, guides, directs, illuminates, empowers us And so we want to live spirit-filled lives, and that is why my all-time prayer is for God to give me awareness and perception regarding what's going on in my life and the community in which I live. I tell our Mastermind students, our online training school, that the two most important aspects in discipleship is prayer and prophecy. And what I mean by that is prayer, you're always asking God to give you insight, even while someone's talking to you. You're having this horizontal conversation going on, but you are listening. You're asking the Spirit of God to illuminate your mind, to go through that Rolodex, to go through that index of scriptures that you have in your head, to give you clarity on what you are listening to. You're always praying when you are discipling. And then when I say prayer and prophecy, I simply mean that you speak forth the truth. You speak forth what you believe God is having you to say in that moment, and those are the two most critical keys when it comes to discipleship. You want to understand how the Spirit of God is illuminating your mind, and I realize we're living in a a subjective element there, but we must operate in faith, trusting that God will guide us, and He will only guide us 
as we move down the road of His Word. In fact, the Spirit of God and the Word of God will always work in tandem. If you're the person that's afraid of the Spirit of God and you have a high view of Scripture and a low view of of the Spirit of God, well, you're not right. And if you are a person that has a high view of of the Spirit of God and a low view of Scripture, and you haven't anchored your thoughts, life, life actions, words uh, in the Word of God, then you are not right either. In fact, you could think about this idea of walking in the Spirit according to the Word of God. Let's say that you're walking down a road, and that road is the Bible. It is the Bible. If you're walking in the Spirit, you should be walking down that road. The Spirit of God and the Word of God work in tandem. If you go either way, you're off. You're off, and so you won't both. Part of the reason why I say this is because God promised to put His Spirit in us so that we would know how to walk in His statutes, how to obey His rules. You see, you can't obey His rules without the Spirit of God illuminated in your mind. Jesus was very clear that He would guide us in all truth. That's why you can't separate the Spirit of God from the Word of God. They work together. Now, if you want to know, if you want to see the ultimate example of what this looks like in a human being, then go to the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Jesus Christ was the perfect picture of what it means to be Spirit-filled. Everything He did was done in the power of the Spirit as the Spirit led Him. Some people have thought and taught that he was doing his works in his divinity, but that is not true. He set aside his divinity and took on flesh so that he could be like us. It would destroy the gospel if Jesus' sacrifice, if he was something other than a human. Say he was 98% man, 2% God, and he did all those wonderful things because he was accessing his godness, the 2% Godness. The theological term for this is called hypostatic union that teaches that he was 100% God and 100% man. He was God in the flesh, but he only acted out of his flesh, out of his humanity while he lived on earth. He wasn't a superhuman. And so if you are one of those people who say, well, that was Jesus. You know, that was Jesus. He was able to do this or able to do that. And then you disqualify yourself from being obedient or submitting to him or, or whatever you're trying to get yourself out of. Well, that's unbiblical. Jesus preached with authority. He cast out demons. He carried out His mission on earth. He sought the lost, discipled His friends, all because the Spirit had filled Him. He was a, he was the, it was the Spirit of God that drove and empowered Jesus. He lived the most vibrant life ever lived because He lived the most dependent life ever lived. The truth about Jesus is why my primary prayer has been to be filled, to be illuminated, to be empowered, to be, in, to be controlled by the Spirit of God. And I pray that it will be yours as well. Fill me, illuminate me, empower me, control me, O Spirit of God. And if He does, well, He will keep you walking down the road of the Word of God and, and you will live a vibrant life. One of the ways that you can think about this idea of walking in the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit, is answering this question for me, for me. But before I give it to you, I want to tell you that you need to think slowly and reflectively. Uh, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Here's the question. If you had to choose between having Jesus at your side or the Holy Spirit in your heart, which would you choose? 
Now, I think our knee-jerk response at first glance, it would seem like it would be more advantageous to have Jesus at the wheel, to have Jesus at our side. But Scripture would not teach this notion. It is actually to your advantage, and this key word, advantage, is important. You want to, you want to highlight that one. It's to your advantage for Jesus to go away, which he did. So you could have God in you rather than having God next to you. You see, a human Jesus is a limited Jesus. But the Spirit of God is not limited or contained in space. By the way, it's kind of an interesting question. Would you have, rather have Jesus at your side or, the Holy, or have uh, the Holy Spirit in your heart? Which would you choose? Well, if you said Jesus at your side and I said I want Jesus at my side, well, you and I are going to get in a tug of war because Jesus can't be everywhere. He's a human being. And so if you get Jesus, then I want Jesus. But if I have Jesus, you want Jesus. But God has an answer for that. He gives us the Spirit of God who's not limited or contained in space. He is released to be everywhere and in anyone at all times. That's a problem solved. Jesus told his disciples that this was also better for them. In John 16, 16, 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus said it was to your advantage. And as you follow the lives of his disciples in the book of Acts, well, we know he was right because we find them scattered to the uttermost parts of the world. They needed the third person of the Trinity working in them to accomplish the work. Peter said it this way in Acts 2. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. Throughout the book of Acts, we read about the Spirit leading, influencing, empowering people. And guess what? Nothing has changed since then. This is how we are to live our lives today, in four words, depending on the Spirit. In fact, Paul said it another way in 430, Ephesians, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If you want to live out the purposes of Jesus Christ in your life and in your community, you must have what the followers of Acts had in their lives, the Spirit of God in you. Now, one of the reasons for this is that God has always wanted to be with His people. If I were to take a rock and skip it across the biblical pond, we would quickly see how this has always been that way, God with His people. In Adam's day, He walked with them in Genesis 2-7. In Moses' day, He tabernacled with them in Exodus 25-8, where He said He wanted to build a tabernacle. In the Savior's day, He dwelt among them, John 1.14. In our day, He dwells in us, Acts 2.4. So the question then becomes whether we're going to be pneumatic ministers as evidenced by Him indwelling in us and our dependence on Him. Do you want to be a pneumatic minister of the gospel? Do you want to walk in the Spirit? Do you want to walk down the road of God's Word, illuminated and empowered by the Spirit of God? You can do that 
one of the sad things that's happened within Christianity is that some people have elevated walking in the Spirit to a mystical, special blessing, two-tier Christianity that separates the haves from the have-nots. If you are a Christian, you're one of the haves. All Christians have the Spirit. The real question is whether you will rely on Him. It's not whether you have the Spirit. If you are a believer, will you rely on Him? Now, in thinking about how to rely on the Spirit, here's what you will have to do. You've got to make a distinction. You see, the Spirit of God will call you to do things, but the Spirit of God will not tell you how to accomplish those things. Now, some people get confused at this point because they think, God wants me to work this job, but He doesn't give me the details of how it's all going to pan out for me. That's the way it always works. You see, there's this interplay between being obedient and trusting in faith. Those two things go hand in hand. You want to be obedient. You want to do what He asks you to do. But He's not going to tell you how it's all... He's not going to tell you about the result or the outcome. God wants you to marry this individual, so you're obedient. You marry this person. And God doesn't tell you how it's going to work out because He wants you to continue to depend on Him. The Spirit will tell you what to do, but He will not tell you how to do it. Now you see this theme throughout the Word of God. The Lord says to His children to do many things, but He does not tell them all the particulars of what He's going to accomplish or His purposes through their obedience. Let me give you a short list. He told Noah to build a boat. Noah was obedient, but Noah had no clue of all the ramifications and the outworking of what God told him to do. He told Abraham to kill his son. He told Moses to lead his people. He told David to be a king. He told Elijah to go check on a widow woman. He told Jonah to go to Nineveh. He told Peter to get off that boat and walk on water. <laughs> but he didn't tell Peter how this thing's going to play out for him. Peter's main deal was to be obedient. And by the way, he was. He was obedient. He got off. And by the way, how did it go? Well, he began to sink. But that was another opportunity for Peter to trust him, be obedient, and then trust him through the process. He told Paul to trust him with a thorn in the flesh. The Spirit of God has told you and me to do many things. It is our job to respond to what He has told us to do. In all of these things, He does not give us the particulars or the outcome of His request. You could say that the Spirit of God is the first Nike commercial. Just do it, says the Spirit. There is a difference between obedience, do what God tells you to do, and faith. Oh Lord, how is this going to work out? I'm not going to tell you. I want you to obey. Obedience is doing the things God has told you to do, and faith is trusting Him for the outcome. Let's flip it around. Let's say He told you what to do. He told you how to do it. He told you the result. You know how this thing is going to end. This particular thing, this specific thing, you know how it's going to end. Well, then there would be no need for faith in God. You would never have to trust God if He mapped it out that way for you. And so he's not going to tell you how it's going to roll out for you. He just wants you to be obedient in the moment. The natural temptation for us is to be overly concerned about the outcome while giving less thought to be unobedient to what he's told us to do. This kind of thinking will hinder your obedience to the Spirit. Now, people do this regularly. God is leading them to do something, but they're more concerned with how it's going to play out than being obedient. Let's imagine Peter that... He was more concerned about what was going to happen when he stepped off the boat 
and less concerned about being obedient to the Savior who appealed to him to step off the boat and walk on water. Peter chose to keep in step with God while leaving the outcome to God. Now, this illustration is how faith and spirit-led dependence or obedience are supposed to work in tandem. Of course, this idea challenges us regarding the depth and breadth of our Christian maturity. You can think about it in these two questions. When God is calling you to respond to Him, are you thankful because He would take the time to speak to you? Or are you more concerned about the cost or outcome of your obedience? Mature Christianity is less concerned about the cost of discipleship because the greater desire is to be dependent upon and led by the Spirit of God. This worldview is the only way to live a consistent life that puts Christ on display. The dependent person knows the outcome will be favorable to them regardless of the cost. Now, I know this is a hard verse for many of us. It's Romans 8.28, all things work together for good, because that word good, sometimes it doesn't feel good. God has called me to do many things in my life, and the result of those things have been very difficult, and it was hard to see good in that moment. But I know that it is favorable for me, even though the cost is painful in the moment. And if you truly believe this practically, if you have this kind of thinking, it will release you from self-reliant protection while emboldening you toward greater possibilities with God. We see some of the greater possibilities with God in Galatians 5. Paul gives us a, a list we call the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's the fruit of a Spirit-dependent person. If you're walking in the Spirit, and this will be one way to assess yourself to see if you are walking in the Spirit. Are you characterized as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things? There is no law, he said in verse 23, Galatians 5. If this is how you are characterized then you are a spirit-dependent person. But I know many of you that are listening to this podcast, it's not how you are characterized because you're more controlled with the outcome. You're more managed by the outcome of your, your life rather depending on God to take you through these things. But if you learn how to walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. This attitude that I'm talking about is a learned behavior, not a magical one. It's not that willy-nilly subjective weird, pneumatic life, spirit-filled life. No, this is an attitude of learned behavior, and it takes a lot of work. It takes obedience to be spirit-filled. It takes a lot of doing and a lot of practice because there is no passivity or antinomian thinking when it comes to walking in the spirit. The word antinomian means without the law without God's Word. I can do anything I want to. Then that's not walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is a learned behavior, not a magical one. It takes a lot of work, obedience, doing, practice, because there is no passivity or antinomian thinking when it comes to walking in the Spirit. You must obey the illuminations of the Spirit as He works in your mind according to His Word. This concept, you could say it like this. Walking in the Spirit 
could be best titled this way, is Spirit-Empowered, Word-Illuminated Obedience. Now, there's the two things that are working in tandem that I talked about earlier, like the person walking down the road. The word, the road is the Word of God, and your spirit illuminated, spirit empowered. And so you are walking down the road empowered by the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God will not lead you away from God's Word, but will work in tandem with God's Word. Therefore, the Spirit-filled person is a student of the Bible. He's always studying God's Word while relentlessly learning the habit of humbly responding to what he believes God is telling him to do through the Word. Walking in the Spirit is not a dismissal of the rules. Here's a way of thinking about Jesus. He was the most Spirit-dependent person who ever lived. He was also the most rule-abiding person who ever lived. His obedience was empowered and and illuminated by the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, which, by the way, was different from the Pharisees. They were empowered and motivated by their self-centered interpretations of Scriptures. Being obedient to the Spirit and obedient to God's Word are two sides of the same coin. If you obey the Spirit, you will be following the Word. If you obey the Word, you'll be obeying the Spirit. Jesus said it this way in 1613 of John, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. While the Spirit and truth are the same in a sense, one will not contradict the other. And there is also a distinction. It is the Spirit of God who guides, empowers, and illuminates you regarding the truth you are to obey. Walking in the Spirit means obeying God's Word in all ways. The more you do this, the less you will fulfill the desires of the flesh. Being sensitive to and willing to submit to the initial and ongoing illuminations of the Holy Spirit will enable you to live out the truth of the Bible practically. James said it this way, the half-brother of Jesus no less, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The Christian life is not about powering yourself or willing yourself or obeying yourself to live the life of Christ. That is the law. That is what every religion in the world requires. The Christian life is a life empowered by the Spirit of God as you sense His work and submit to His work That's why it's so important. What James said again, if you know the right thing to do and if you fail to do it, it is sin. If you are, God is asking you to respond a certain way to your spouse. That is the Spirit of God that is empowering you and illuminating you to obey His Word and to respond to it, to submit to His work. Some have mistakenly dismissed the rules of religion because they only understand rule-keeping in the context of legalism. The Christian desires to obey God in all 
ways. And if you do not do that, if God is calling you to respond a certain way, if the Spirit of God is illuminating your mind and telling you to respond to your spouse in a certain way, and if you do not do that, James not only says it's sin, but Paul says you are quenching and grieving the Spirit of God, and that light will go dim and it will become harder and harder for you to be a a Spirit-reliant person. The question is, how do you do this? How do you practically rely on Him? There are two critical elements in depending on the Spirit, which hinge on a fundamental worldview question. Do you live in God's world, or does God live in your world? That is the worldview question that you have to ask and answer. If you believe that you live in God's world, then you want to do two things. One, pay attention. Two, keep in step. To live the Spirit-filled life, you want to pay attention and you want to keep in step. The person who believes he lives in God's world is regularly asking God for advice, information, direction, input regarding how to respond to everything that he is experiencing in God's world. The Spirit-dependent person is a constant question asker, which is the essence of being dependent on God You are regularly asking God questions, which is called praying, by the way. Here are a few practical examples of how to pray, how to be a question asker as you walk in the Spirit. Let me give you six illustrations. When you're in a small group, you're asking the Spirit for wisdom regarding how to respond to others. You meet in a small group, wherever that group is, whatever that context is. And you're asking the Spirit of God to give you wisdom on how to respond to others. Here's a second one. As you begin your day, you're asking the Spirit to help you to be alert to what He has prepared for you. Number three, when you walk into a store, a grocery store, you're asking the Spirit to allow you to interact with someone you're always paying attention. And then when God illuminates and gives you that individual that's in front of you, you keep in step. Remember, those are the two things. To be spirit-eliminated, spirit-empowered, pay attention, keep in step. Number four, when you sin, you respond to the Spirit by repenting. Confession, forgiveness, putting off, etc. Number five, when you sense God's leading, you humbly step out in the act of faith. When He's calling you to get off that boat, you step out. And then number six, when the Spirit places someone on your heart, you respond accordingly. Those are just six simple illustrations of how to pay attention and to keep in step. Now, I want to finish this podcast by talking about subjectivity because I know the people who get twitchy about the Spirit of God, you got to talk about this because there's those wackos out there who aren't adhering to the Word of God and they're doing all kinds of stuff. Rick, what about that? Well, I, yes, there's an error in all of this. And I understand that, but the error doesn't mean a cessation of this idea of walking in the Spirit. There is a subjective element to walking in the Spirit. You could misapply or misunderstand the direct or indirect teachings of the Word of God to your life by misbelieving about how the Spirit of God is guiding you. Yes and amen. Happens all the time. The Spirit-empowered person desires to humbly walk as evidenced by his desire to be in a community. This is one of the ways that you can guard against making this error. 
being in a community. In fact, I have an article here about making decisions. It's embedded in this one. I would encourage you to read that article as I establish this four-legged stool of, of canon, comforter, conscience, and community. Those four uh, contacts that help you to make decisions. Here's some of the outlandish things that people will attribute it to God. God told me to leave my husband. God told me to give away my money. God told me to leave our church. God told me to quit my job. God told me to give my car away. God told me to drop out of school. Now, it is possible for God to say all of these things. It's also possible for a sinful person to upload their sinful desires and attribute those things to God. You see, the, the humble person is, to, is willing to have such sayings, when I, when I say it's possible for God to say all these things, I put the word say in quotation marks. But it is, it is, it, the humble person is willing to have such sayings weighed in the context of a community. This vital need should not dissuade you from practicing the discipline of asking the Spirit to give you insight into your life and the lives of others. If you're in doubt about what you believe the Spirit of God is asking you to do, share what you think with your friends. If you're operating in humility, well, then you know that there is safety in counsel, as Proverbs eleven fourteen says. You know that you are holding your subjective thoughts loosely. You're not trying to win anything. You're not trying to defeat anything. You just want to be obedient, but you're unsure, and you realize the subjective nature of walking in the Spirit after it has been soaked in prayer, after it's been weighed by wise counsel, then you can move forward according to how you believe God is leading you. It's the person that will not weigh their speculations and their subjectivity. That is the person that can be dangerous. But the most used person is the most dependent person who is willing to act on, the spirit, on how the Spirit is leading him. I want you to do two things. Pay attention. What is God telling you to do? Keep in step. Will you do it? Don't dismiss the value of community. If you want to talk about this, come to our website. Let's talk. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.